You're listening to the In Down to the Wire podcast. This episode is presented by Dave McDermott. The music is by Fairweather Friends, artwork by Alan Hay, and production by Mike McDermott. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to the first episode of And Down to the Wire podcast, featuring Dr. James Endow, co-founder of the leading charity UCAN, which funded the creation of the first urological cancer care centre in Scotland, founder of Horizons, a social enterprise helping to transform maternal and infant care in West Africa and beyond, starting in the Gambia, where he is originally from. James also plays a key role in the global advancement of teaching of urological surgery through various roles, including as adjunct Secretary-General at the European Association of Urology. James also provides charitable services every year in the public government hospitals in outreach childbirth facilities in the Gambia and takes fellow healthcare professionals and international partner organisations with him on these trips. And if that wasn't enough, he is also one of seven recently appointed Deputy Lieutenants of Aberdeenshire. So plenty to discuss in this series of podcasts, but traditionally, James, you're not someone who seeks publicity. So how did the idea of a podcast come about? Well, Dave, I'm surprised you think I, 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 I don't love talking to the media, but no, you're quite right. It's not something that I have ever prioritized. And, you know, I, I recognize as I'm getting older that obviously wider communication of research and social impactful work that we may do um, has a bigger positive consequence if it is effectively disseminated, at, at least to, to, to stakeholders that are interested in, in, in those sorts of work. Um, and I've also known that my hesitation in, in uh, communicating um, widely um, also has impacted, therefore, how the work that is done, the people that actually do the work alongside me, um, how that impacts, obviously, society at large. So, I, I, I think I think that's one aspect. The other aspect is, of course, that you know, you know, we. I, I don't work alone. I work in in teams, be it in the hospital, be it in the university, or in Europe, or in the Gambia. I always work in teams. I enjoy working in teams. But that means that even though I may be associated as the face of a project. Actually, a lot of the work is done by others, right? And um, and people don't see that. People only see the face of the project. So, I, I think I've I've, as I say, recognised that actually celebrating others that work alongside me in such projects is actually important. Important for them too. And what are some of the subjects we'll be looking at over the next while? Well, I, I think uh, you can certainly would be one because I do believe that, at least for me, you can has been absolutely 
easily the most important project I have been a part of over the past 17, 18 years. Um, it has really brought us close to our vocation as doctors. And so talking about the amazing people in, in, in the north of Scotland that have really worked with UCAN would be something that we would like to do. Um, the other things that I would imagine we would talk about, Dave, would be some of the work that we do in the University of Aberdeen, the research that we do, how it impacts not only the lives of citizens in, in the north of Scotland or in Scotland, but nationally across the UK and internationally. And really, the, the, the people in the team that actually do this work. Well, some of my other hats include working in Europe with the European Association of Urology, where we collaborate with 40-odd national societies across Europe and do a lot of work in terms of training and education of the next generation. And I think some of the projects we do there, including EU-funded projects in big data and artificial intelligence, these are exciting things for us to start talking about. And finally, obviously, I do some work in the Gambia, uh, a country of birth for me. And really, giving back in the Gambia has been something very important to me. And while updating the latest activities in each episode, including UCAN, in this episode we're primarily looking back at the early days of the charity and indeed exactly why it was felt there was a need for such an initiative. One person who has been on the UCAN journey since day one is specialist nurse Linda Pennett, who recalls an early conversation with James ahead of UCAN's birth. I remember him asking me one day what, what happened to the patients when they'd been given bad news and... I really couldn't answer him. I hadn't been involved in this part of patient care at all in my career. So he spoke with another colleague of his, Professor McClinton, and they decided the best way to find out was to ask patients. So they met with, they invited about 20 patients to a, a meeting in a, a local hotel and asked them what happened after a cancer diagnosis. And they weren't very... They were shocked by what they were told. The patients really said there was nothing. And already, James, after that initial meeting, you and Sam must have realised you had something of a challenge ahead of you. Um, yes, because we were unprepared, actually, Dave. We, we went to that meeting assuming that patients and their families will generally um, have been happy with the support they've been given through their cancer journey. And really what we heard actually was quite shocking, actually, that when they are diagnosed with a cancer, we do our very best to cure them. But actually, in terms of awareness of the importance of early diagnosis, in terms of support of their family network during their acute diagnosis and treatment, and especially when we discharge them, we think the GPs are looking after them. The GPs think that actually we are still uh, looking after them. And frankly, they felt abandoned. Uh, this was a tough thing for us to listen to. And, and so we really needed to come back and figure out how we're going to address this gap in our service. And Linda remembers those early days well. We were very fortunate in having fantastic support from local business, um, from academics, from the university, and, and the people of Aberdeen. And money started coming in to the charity um, and the first thing we wanted to achieve was we wanted to achieve a, 
an environment. Evidence has told us that where bad news is given impacts and how it's given impacts on the rest of the journey. So what we wanted was a non-clinical environment. That must have been very heartening and indeed just making you all the more determined to make it happen. Oh yes, absolutely. But at the same time, we were realistic in understanding that the NHS at that time did not have the funds to allow us to do anything. To create this um, new um, environment for patients and their families to be able to come, feel comfortable and feel well supported was something we did not have in the NHS. Um, We're used to seeing patients in clinics spending five, ten minutes giving them bad news and letting them go home. How terrible is that? I mean, this was something... So we had to transform how we practised. We had to create a new space that needed funding. Uh, And really, the the people of Aberdeen, we had a huge amount of support, uh, including from well-known business folk in, in, in the north of Scotland, including people like George Stevenson, Sir Ian Wood and many others, uh, were absolutely amazing for us. And without that, we would not have been here today with UCAN. That all said, we had no experience in fundraising. I'm a urologist, so is Sam McClinton and the nurses. Um, we, we had to learn fast and we had a lot of support, um, again, from people in Aberdeen that understood what the mission was, what the purpose was, and they helped us to learn fast. Convincing the male population that it's vital to identify any problems early was the next challenge. So health promotion really, we felt this is where we wanted to start. I vividly remember going to a meeting in Stonehaven, a a local town, um, a prostate awareness evening, and there was only nine people came. Interestingly enough, none of them were men. They were all women. It was felt that to increase awareness, something a bit different had to be tried. So it was decided that we would do offshore health promotion talks. Now, this was something that I was not going to do. I, I'm a mature, mature nurse in my 50s plus, And to go through offshore training, to go offshore wasn't for me. So we're very fortunate that Catherine Patterson, who I believe is going to be speaking, um, did the training and she went offshore. Now, the thing about offshore was that you you get 90, 100 men at a time and they all listened because I suppose we broke up the boredom of the day. But it was very, very valuable and the message began to spread. That was a huge breakthrough, James, wasn't it? Because you were actually starting to hit home in what was essentially your target market. Absolutely. And, you know, I I can only take my hat off to um, uh, people like Linda and Catherine Patterson. You know, Catherine and I remember Sam, they all had to do their, their training for going offshore. And this was something like Linda I was never going to do. I mean, I don't like doing anything vaguely dangerous, let alone let alone going offshore, which to me was alien an alien concept. But however, we found a solution. We some people went offshore, some spoke to Rotarians, uh, we went to different companies um, to speak with their with their workforce about, you know, urological cancers, prostate cancer, testis cancer, etc. And what they should look for and the importance of early diagnosis. And I think that you know, when you look at what companies like First Bus did in allowing us to, you know, put posters on their buses and 
uh, we put some really, really interesting posters on the buses. Interesting would not be the word my mother would use, God rest her soul, but um, we needed to shock um, men because really the Northeast man is a brave, hard, strong man and talking about prostate cancer and testicular cancer is not something they do naturally. And so to encourage them to, to, to break the ice, we had to do some very interesting things, including engaging their partners to help us with that awareness raising. And that was a, a very hectic time for you. And at such times, it's obviously a huge benefit to have the support of your family, your wife and three children, who, of course, were quite young at the time. Um, yes, and, and I think that made it quite challenging because both my wife and I were working full time and we had very young kids. And as you know, um, uh, the support of family when you're doing things in your own time, evenings and weekends, is extremely important because that's traditionally family time. But this is something we had no choice we had to do. Uh, my family was hugely supportive. Uh, well, at least my wife was. I, I'm not so sure... <laughs> I'm not so sure about the kids. I, I, I think they, they grew to understand the importance, but as kids are what they are, they had other priorities, I think, in retrospect. Let's hear what your children remember. Eldest son, Jigan. I'm going to be honest with you, try and stay as honest as possible anyway. I wasn't at all interested <laughs> at that point. You know, as a teenager... Uh, well, I must have been about 14 when I attended the first one. As a teenager, um, I had other designs on my time. I'd rather have been sitting in front of the TV, you know, eating junk foods, playing video games, listening to music or whatever. You know, any foray into fundraising activities seemed like a waste of that valuable time I spent on the couch. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, that, of course, seems like a little bit of a shame uh, I wish, in hindsight, that I had engaged a bit more, uh, especially knowing what goods UCAN has achieved uh, in the years since. All of those marquee statistics about uh, the amounts of money that they've raised, the amount of awareness that they've raised uh, in support of urological conditions is remarkable. Uh, and I had an opportunity to be a part of that, but I spent most of that opportunity uh, sulking. <laughs> Well, not perhaps surprising, probably not quite what you hoped for. So how about younger son, Kamal? I guess my earliest recollections of UCAN and fundraising events mostly included me not really understanding what was going on because I was so young. Um, but what I did understand was that I would rather be doing something else. I would rather have been watching Arsenal or playing football or something like that. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I spent probably most of the time complaining, which is, in hindsight now, I think looking back on what they've done over the past few years, I think now at the age of 21, I can really appreciate the kind of awareness and the amount of happiness, I guess, this adventure has brought to a lot of people. Let's see if daughter Samira was any more supportive. My memory is limited, but I know that I probably was decently passionate towards helping towards the charity at that age. I think I was excited by um, a lot of 
different things at that age so I was just keen to be involved in anything that was happening and um, but I probably understood that it was for a more important cause than maybe some of my other hobbies and um, because my dad would talk quite openly and freely about it at home um, and I had a vague understanding of what my dad did for work um, so on reflection as an adult, um, I can now recognise the importance of a lot of the fundraisers and talks and things that he did um, because it is a cancer in an area that people are nervous and afraid to talk about and to seek help for it um, when they notice something early on in the course of the disease. Um, now being sort of a junior doctor working in the career that both of my parents work in, I probably have a bit of a better understanding about why um, the involvement of charities um, and advertisement of these diseases is so important. One out of three isn't too bad, James. No, one out of three is not too bad. And, you know, I love my daughter. Um, and I think that she was the only one that not only got it, but um, saw the importance of giving up some of her childhood um, in support of, 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 this, uh, of this goal and purpose that we had. I think the boys, the boys were just boys. They had other priorities and really this was just a uh, dad annoying them and ruining their, their fun, really. <laughs> but some aspects did resonate with Jigan. The first UCAN initiative that I have like vivid memories of was the bus campaign where they'd emblazoned like a guy's crotch area. He had his modesty covered, of course, um, naked, apart from his hands covering his, uh, you know, um, that would go all around. There's like a fleet of these buses that would go around Aberdeen city centre, raising eyebrows in the older generation, kind of like um, getting kids giggling. I remember that so vividly because... Of course, all of my friends at school and stuff saw these buses. Uh, they were talking about it. Um, and I got a kick out of telling them that my dad was, you know, I'm sure I would have said I, he was the one solely responsible for this public scandal <laughs> in Aberdeen at the time. But of course, yeah, there's an entire team of uh, of people involved in that. I know. I think that the, San Ac the plan actually came from Prof. Sam McClinton. Great man, also uh, did a lot of great work um, with UCAN. And as we've heard, Samira bought into the charity from the outset. One of the most prominent, probably earliest memories that I have is of the pants walk. So I think everyone wore some elaborate, um, as elaborate as you'd like, um, pants on top of their trousers or whatever they were wearing um, and walked around, I think it was Duthie Park in Aberdeen. Um, and it was sort of a large group of people. Obviously, um, the point was to catch some eyes of some passers-by, which I think we did, um, and to catch those eyes and to then draw those in towards stands where there were advertisements um, towards UCAN and what it was all about. And she admits she was more involved than her siblings. I probably was a bit more passionate, um, maybe, than my brothers were. Um, and that's probably linked to the fact that I've gone into medicine myself. So it's just something that interested me. Um, I think that I'm a relatively 
bold human being who from a young age wasn't afraid to speak my mind and so in sort of various circumstances we had for example an MP into the primary school and I can't specifically remember being prepped for this but I wouldn't be massively surprised if I had mentioned it to dad and he'd said something but we had an MP um, come into the school for a day and do a presentation to us and I remember her being very baffled when um, a young school girl, sort of primary three maybe, primary four, so probably around the age of eight, um, stuck her hand up at the end of the presentation and asked what she's specifically doing towards the advertisement of prostate cancer in men. Um, I think what came of that was she sort of pulled me aside at the end and asked some questions which I probably couldn't answer, but I was able to give her contact details for my dad and she may be helped with some promotion and things. Another who has been with UCAN from the outset is Finance Director Bob Hutchison, who explains how he became involved with the charity. I was approached by Tony Dawson. At that time, Tony was the lawyer helping to set up UCAN back in 2005. Tony became a director for a number of years. Tony told me that my involvement would not be time-consuming. I've heard that comment many times before. And Catherine Patterson, the nurse who pioneered the charity's work offshore, is now Professor Patterson, living in Australia, and she recalls her introduction to UCAN. So I became involved with UCAN as UCAN's first uh, nurse, and Professor James Endow uh, very graciously took me under his wing, and that's where I began to develop my love of urological uh, cancer nursing uh, and really wanting to make a difference to people's lives of uh, cancers generally below below the waist, uh, below the belt. So my job at the time of being involved with UCAN, um, it was just an amazing, very versatile uh, role in the fact that there were three fundamental aspects to my position, one of which was being involved with running really important, clinically meaningful research studies um, for people affected by urological cancers. The second aspect of my role was really about raising the profile of awareness of early signs and symptoms of urological cancers. And part of that actually was um, going offshore to uh, male-dominated workforces and um, I actually undertook my offshore survival training. Uh, so a really uh, fun, versatile uh, role. And the third aspect, which I was so honoured to be involved with, was actually setting up the Urological Cancer Care Centre. Um, and that was a really important um, contribution and I always felt very privileged to be involved with that uh, work. So part of that was looking to resource uh, patient-centred information and also setting up the buddy network to provide uh, peer support. Because as nurses and doctors, we can provide the best advice in terms of our evidence and our clinical experience. But but I've not been diagnosed with cancer. I'm not a man who's, for example, has been uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer. And so it's really important that um, for patients and their families to have the opportunities to link in with other experts, if you like, because they have been through that experience. And while those early days saw you can make strides forward, it was by chance that the charity received a huge boost in fortunes, as Linda Pennett explains. Eminent businessman in the city, unfortunately, um, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Not a problem for him. He was in control. He just wanted the treatment. 
and get it over and done with was his thinking. But after getting surgery, he realised he was struggling. He, he did not know where to get the support he needed. He'd never experienced anything like this before. So he spoke to our two consultants and they explained what they were trying to do. And he says, right, I'm coming on board here to help you. This really is a must. So he was instrumental in helping us move forward the, the funding for the centre. And it accolade in... January And that businessman, of course, was George Stevenson, who's played a remarkable role in the subsequent proceedings, James. Yes, I mean, I, I would um, say that without the real passion, focus and support of George Stevenson, our, UCAN, our first UCAN campaign would not have been successful. And certainly the implementation of having the UCAN Centre where we now have an amazing space for 17, 18 years. This was all down to George Stevenson, um, his drive, and his friends and colleagues in the construction industry in Aberdeen. Really, they did all of that work at no cost to UCAN. But George fought many battles, including with our estates department in the NHS. And But he wasn't taking no for an answer. This was a goal he understood we had to succeed in. And having been someone who's used our services before, he understood the desperate importance of what we had to do because he, he, he did not have as good a service as we do give now. And we'll continue the UCAN story in the next episode of Undown to the Wire. Let's turn our attention now to the Horizons Project, which it would be fair to say has been a slow burner. <laughs> it's been a very slow burner, Dave. And um, But, you know, uh, if somebody had said to me it would be this challenging and, and this difficult um, to do something that is so important um, in a low-income country like the Gambia to transform the lives of um, uh, pregnant mothers and infants, if you'd said to me it was going to be this difficult, I, I would be surprised because it is so important. However, as you say, it's been a real slow burner, um, mainly mainly because really it's the first of its kind, right? It's the first of its kind in the Gambia. We've never had to implement such a big healthcare um, uh, project like Horizons. The one positive thing, however, though, Dave, is we, we have now worked with six childbirth facilities that are government-owned to support them. And that's been an amazing journey and really would be exciting to talk about that. And we'll be planning to look at the Horizon story in more detail in episode three of this podcast. Deputy Lieutenant James, what does that entail? Well, um, Dave, to be honest, I, I am so um, engulfed in just honour and pride of of it that I've not spent enough time reflecting on 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 all the expectations of the role. I, I do understand the importance, however, that at least if I speak personally, the county of Aberdeenshire and Aberdeen City and the north of Scotland in particular have given so much to me and my family over the 37 years that I've been here. And so to be able to support... Um, the lieutenancy and the important work in the north of of Scotland here in Aberdeenshire, I think is something I, I am so so proud to be a part of. And, you know, I, I think 
um, supporting the work of the Lord Lieutenant and being able to to do a backup for him when he's not available is something I would I, I would be honoured to do. And that is it for the opening episode of Down to the Wire. Thank you very much for listening. Please check out our Facebook and Instagram pages for the latest news and please don't hesitate to let us know your thoughts and suggestions. Thank you very much, James. See you next time. on Instagram and Facebook and remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.